Support for Human Nature comes from our listeners. To celebrate our fifth season, we have a brand new t-shirt as a thank you for your support. It is a drawing of a hiker and a moose cohabitating inside headphones. There's a picture and a place to donate at humannaturepodcast.org. From Wyoming Public Media, this is Human Nature, real stories where humans and our habitat meet. I'm Aaron Jones. So I walked back to the truck, got in to turn around, and it was on this slight incline, just a tiny little incline. And I started to make a three-point turn. I felt the tires dig in, and then they just stopped and started spinning. This time, we'll hear from a man who ventured into the Mojave Desert on a treasure hunt, but things didn't go as planned. Josh Patterson has always identified with the wilderness. He grew up in a log cabin in Pennsylvania. Later, he moved to California, where he fell in love with the desert. Josh began exploring places like Death Valley and Joshua Tree National Park, taking photographs of forgotten relics. I had gotten into looking for old abandoned places and uh, remnants of mining operations and the old cabins that are out there and you know, there's petroglyphs and there's all kinds of ancient people stuff too. So for me, it was like every time I went out, it was like a little treasure hunt. You're just waiting to see what the next thing you can find is. And so I had heard about this one cabin up in this mountain range that I, I really wanted to try to find because it was within pretty easy reach of the, the highway. And I don't have four-wheel drive, so for me, it's really important to choose carefully the, the locations that I'm going to. And so I thought this would be a good one. And it was September, so the temperatures weren't dangerously hot. The Mojave Desert is enormous. It spans parts of several states. But Josh had tracked down wild horses, petroglyphs, and old hunting blinds used by the Coso Indians. So he felt confident. Oh, it started out perfectly. It was going great. I was actually going to find a petroglyph site first. And so I drove out into that area and hiked to the uh, the petroglyph site. And it was fantastic and just covered with stuff. And so I did that and walked back out to the truck And I was like, yeah, this is going all right. Made my way up to the cabin and it started to get, the road started to get rougher. It was rocking back and forth and there was definitely some really rough sections. Got up to the cabin and it was absolutely stunning. Like there's this huge flat below it and it's all just this giant forest of Joshua trees. It's on the mountainside so you can just see the entire, you can see for, I don't know, 20 miles across the area. And it's just stunning. So I spent the night there. And I got up the next morning. I was leaving to kind of try to do a different route around so I could see some other stuff. On impulse, as I was uh, leaving the cabin, I saw this old road that went out to this mining prospect. And I thought, eh, you know, I can handle this. I'm going to go out there and check it out. And so I started driving down that road. It starts getting narrower and narrower. And now I'm on this, like, narrow strip of it with the, uh, the mountain dropping away on my driver's side and the slope going up on my passenger side. And I thought, this is getting a little dicey. As soon as I find a place that I can turn around, I'm going to stop there. I'm going to walk the rest of the way because I don't want to get myself in a situation where I can't get back out. And so I I found a spot and uh, I was like, this is perfect. I can get out here, do my stuff, walk over the mining prospect. And it was a complete letdown. There was like a couple of sheets of metal and some pipes. And I was like, oh, that's great. I came out here and there's nothing here. So I walked back to the truck, got in to turn around and it was on this slight incline, just a tiny little incline. And I started to make a three point turn. I felt the tires dig in, and then they just stopped and started spinning. And I'm oriented now across the road with the the front of the truck pointing down the mountain and the back pointing up towards the slope. 
and I can't get it back around the way it was, and I can't turn it around to, to get out. And so I'm like, okay, great. I can figure this out. Josh was 16 miles from the nearest paved road, and there was nobody in sight. But he had a backcountry toolkit in the back of his truck. It had cables and axe and other odds and ends. So I got out, pulled my shovel out, and started digging out the tires. Got back in the truck. Kept spinning. Wouldn't go anywhere. So I thought, well, it's okay. Maybe it's just traction. So I got some creosote bushes, and I chopped them up, and I jacked the truck up, and I put them underneath the truck. They just spit them right out. So I thought, okay, I have this old air mattress that sprang a leak. I'm going to stick that into the truck and see maybe if that just gives me enough. Didn't work either. And so then I had to sit and think because I'm not sure what else I can do. And then I remembered the old uh, sheeting back by the mining prospect. I can get that. It's really big. It's probably going to give me enough traction or at least enough oomph to, to just get it out of the rut. And so I went back over the mining prospect, dragged over one of the sheets of sheet metal, put it into the truck and it just fired it back out. So I'm like, I don't know what else to do. Like, I, I can't, I, there's no cell signal out there. There's nothing that I can do except, you know, try to figure this out. But at this point, I'm starting to get a little bit panicked because I'm like, I don't really know what other options I've got. And so as I sat there and was thinking about it, I was like, well, you know, all the weight of the truck is in the front. And, you know, and so that the back might just way too little it's just not getting enough purchase so I went and just started collecting all these rocks and ended up putting like hundreds of pounds of rocks in the back of the truck to see if that would work and it didn't <laughs> and so now I was really stuck there was a little voice in the back of my head that was just going you know maybe the, maybe the truck's turning radius isn't that big Maybe, maybe it's not as big as you think it is, you know, and, and so maybe I can just, I can make the turn. Maybe I'm just being too conservative about my predicament. And I went and looked and I had like literally two feet in front of the truck as the drop off. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. You should not be thinking about this. But I'm like, you know, you start to get into that mode where you're willing to do increasingly desperate things to get out of your situation. And so I, I said, I need to just distance myself from this for a little bit and just like think it through and just be logical about it instead of, you know, just going with the crazier instincts that you've got. And so I, I grabbed my water bottle and I walked back over to the cabin that I had stayed the night before and just sat down there for a while just to kind of think it through and just be away from it. Because I couldn't, I couldn't, sitting there and looking at the truck pointed down the mountain it was distressing me out so much. And so I went over there and I, I just sat down in front of the cabin and just pondered my situation. And as I'm sitting there, I see this passenger jet flying over me and, and uh, I was like, wow, look at all those people up there. And here I am sitting looking at them, and they have no idea that I'm staring at them marooned in the desert. It was a crazy feeling. And then a few minutes later, I saw a reflection down the mountain from me. And I thought, that looks like a car window. And I mean, this is a really remote area. Usually there's nobody out there. And so to have somebody else up there was really remarkable. And so I, was, I jumped up immediately and I started waving my hands. And, and then I realized just as quickly that, you know, protocol out there is that if somebody is at a cabin... And somebody's driving up, and they see them, they'll usually turn around just to be discreet and not bother them and stuff like that. So I thought, oh, man, if I'm waving and these people see me waving, they might think that I'm trying to tell them I'm up here, and then they're going to turn around and leave. I was like, I can't do that. So I stopped real fast, and uh, I just started walking as fast as I could down towards the vehicle, like overland across the mountain, just praying every time I go down in a dip. I, I was just praying that I'd see the car when I came back up. Eventually got down to it. It was this red Chevy Tahoe, and there was nobody there. And I'm like, well, I don't understand this. Like, there's nothing really out here. There's another cabin that he was kind of parked near to. There's only two cabins up there. 
And I thought maybe he was up there, maybe he was looking at the mine. So I walked up to the cabin, nobody was there. Walked up to the mine, nobody was there. And I'm like, where is this guy? Like, there's, there's no logical place for this person to be. But the only thing I can do, like, this is my lifeline. Like, this is the only thing that I've got. And so I, I thought, well, I'm just going to have to wait. And so I, I sat down under this Joshua tree and uh, just proceeded to wait. And I sat there for an hour. And the sun started to kind of shift directions. So I'd shift my position under the tree. And the wind is just blowing up the flat. And it's like picking up sand and throwing it at me. And it's just, it's hot and it's dry. And my anxiety is rising. And then you start thinking about, you know, maybe this guy's in trouble too. He's not at the obvious places. And I don't know what else he'd be looking at. So maybe he's hurt and he's waiting for somebody. And I'm just sitting here and I'm going to be here for another week. And nobody's going to even notice, you know, maybe I should go looking for him. (laughs) You know, that part of your mind is kicking in. And I'm like, I just have to be patient. I have to wait. But as time went by, I, I depleted all the water in my bottle. And, and I was starting to get a little dehydrated. I was getting really thirsty, and I'm like, I have to get back up to the truck and get some more water. But if I do, what happens if I go up there and then he comes back and just leaves, and then I'm well and truly marooned here? Josh felt stuck. Then he remembered that every cabin usually has a logbook for visitors to sign. Found the logbook, ripped a page out of that. Uh, scribbled a note that said, please don't leave. I, I'm, a, I'm stuck up at the other cabin. You know, I really appreciate your help if you come back and I'm not here. And I stuck that under his windshield wiper and then just started running up the mountain towards my truck. Got up there, filled up my day pack with like all the snacks I could, water, everything like that. And I grabbed a book too, just because I had no idea how long it was going to be. Coming up, Josh runs after help. You're listening to Human Nature. The Human Nature team is so grateful for your support. Listener donations allow us to keep bringing you great stories. As a thank you, we have a brand new t-shirt. It has a drawing of a hiker and a moose cohabitating inside headphones, which we like to call moose surprise. There's a picture and a place to donate at humannaturepodcast.org. This is Human Nature. I'm Erin Jones. Josh raced back to the cabin, hoping the car was still there. Went back as fast as I could, and the Tahoe was still there. And I was like, oh, thank God. Okay, good. So I pulled the note out, and then I sat down into the tree again. And I feel, like, relatively comfortable because now I've got enough supplies that I can sit there for, you know, a really long amount of time without having to worry about having to leave again and possibly missing him. So I'm sitting down, but every two minutes I'm looking up and glancing around to see if I can see this guy. And the one time I look up and I see a white pickup truck going down the main road, And I'm like, holy cow, there's somebody else up here too? And I just throw everything down and I just start running down the mountain to see if I can intercept him. And and as I'm running down this road, I can see that I'm going to miss him. I can see that he's going to get, and it's going to be like literally 50 yards or so where he's going to get past me. And if he's not looking up, he's not going to see me. And I don't know what else to do. (laughs) And so I just run as fast as I can. I've got my hat off and I'm like whipping it around and I'm like yelling at the top of my lungs, but the wind's blowing back in my face and the sound isn't carrying at all. And I literally am getting hit with the dust and the sand that his truck had kicked up, and he just goes and never sees me. And I just stood there, and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) And so my lungs are burning, because I just, like, ran as fast as I possibly could, and now I've got to go all the way back up the mountain again and sit down by this red Chevy Tahoe. And so I did, and I waited, 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 and it took forever but finally, I see this bright orange sweater coming down the mountainside. There's this man who turned out he was actually climbing the peaks 
on the mountain range, which I never would have anticipated. And he looks at me really warily. And he's friendly, but he's, you know, he's wary because, you know, he's, he's coming back to his vehicle and, you know, he has the same, I think, preconceptions about this place as me, is that he's the only person there. And all of a sudden, this guy jumps up from underneath the tree, <laughs> comes walking out to say hi. And of course, he's like, what are you doing here? You know, the last thing I've, I expected to see here. And, and I'm like, well, I've been waiting for you for a long time. And when I looked at my phone, I had, I had been sitting there for just over five hours. I said, I'm stuck at the other cabin. Do you, do you have four-wheel drive? And he's like, yeah, I do. And he's, I'm like, could you maybe just come up and, and see maybe if you could extricate me from the situation? And he's like, oh, okay. You know, but there's always a certain amount of wariness when you meet somebody out in these places because you don't know them and it's completely isolated. You know, you, you never know who you're going to run into. And so it's best to, you know, apply some caution to those encounters. So I could see that he was... <laughs> <laughs> Not entirely sure if I was telling him the truth, but I'm like, dude, there's no way I'm going to be sitting out here waiting to ambush somebody in the middle of nowhere. The two men drove back to Josh's truck. And he looked at it and he goes, I don't even understand how you're stuck there. And I'm like, I, I don't either. <laughs> like, I wasn't being stupid about it. I wasn't being foolish or taking, you know, foolhardy risks or anything like that. It seemed like a, you know, a decent place to turn around. And, and for some reason, I just can't get it to go. And the rear wheel drive is just not enough. We tried a couple of different things. We put some traction strips that he had under the truck. That didn't get it out either. And at some point, he had just decided that he was going to experiment with the stuff that was in his car that he had never used before. We tried a few different things, did not get the truck out. And so I finally said, do you, do you just have a tow rope? He goes, yeah, I've got a tow rope. I said, could you, could you, could we, could you just maybe pull me out? <laughs> and he goes, yeah, I think we could do that. And then he just he, uh, we hooked it up, and he drove past me, and, uh, and, just, and the truck came right out. And I was like, holy cow, thank you so much. I'm like, I have no money. I don't have anything. Like, I mean, but I, I want to give you something. He's like, dude, it's totally fine. He's like, I, you know, you don't know how many times I've been stuck out here. He said, my sisters had to come find me once. And I'm like, oh, well, that's kind of a relief. But at the same time, I really don't like being stuck here. And I didn't like being in that situation. He's like, I totally understand. And so we exchanged information and everything like that. And then he took off and, and I'm left to, you know, gather myself up and unload all the, the, the rocks from the back of the truck. And I had briefly considered just staying at the cabin again that night but at the same time it was just like I don't want to do it like I just it's it's been such a traumatic day I just do not want to be up here anymore I'm just going to drive up the the road and just find some decently sheltered spot and just crash and so I, I I drove and found this corner that seemed like it was sheltered from the wind and poured myself a mug full of cheap wine and just sat in the truck and just like went over and over and over again all the things that had happened during the day the next morning i woke up and i was like i just want to drive back to los angeles i'm done i don't want to be out here but uh, you know and i briefly considered not even cooking breakfast and just like firing the truck up and going and instead i forced myself to eat and i was sitting on this rock opposite this this rocky outcropping and uh as i'm sitting there eating i go i thought that's the, the markings on that rock actually look kind of geometric. Like, it doesn't seem natural. It, it can't be. I mean, there's no way there's, there's petroglyphs there. I got up and I walked over to it, and, and the, the initial marking that I saw was natural, but right below it, there were three petroglyphs. And it was this just completely unremarkable outcropping of rock in the middle of nowhere. So I'm like, well, there has to be something around, maybe, because usually they would do it to indicate places of significance got further into this little canyon that I had been stopped at that night. It was actually a shallow cave with smoke scarring in it further in. 
with these tiny little walls that had been built, you know, just, just stacked rocks that had been built to shelter from the wind. And then I found a perfect obsidian arrowhead just laying on the ground right there in front of me. And it's just this fantastic thing. And the crazy part is, is I never would have found it. I never would have stumbled across this place if I hadn't got stuck up on that mountain. Our storyteller was Josh Patterson. Josh still loves exploring the desert, taking photographs of treasures like that arrowhead. He and the man in the orange jacket still keep in touch. You can check out Josh's photos of the Mojave Desert and find a link to his blog on our website, humannaturepodcast.org. There, you can also support the show and get one of our new t-shirts. Again, that's at humannaturepodcast.org. I'm Erin Jones. This episode was produced by Megan Fury with help from our executive producer, Micah Schweitzer. It was edited by me, Greg Ronco, and Anna Rader. Our theme song is by Caught a Ghost. Human Nature is a production of Wyoming Public Media. It's human nature.